tomb? Uh, how does Christmas stand alone, and what does it tell us about God? And yet, um, I have the audacity to bring us into uh, a resurrection text. Uh, but, but turn there with me if you've got a Bible or a smartphone uh, that can open up to Luke 24, um, starting at verse 13. Um, and I'm going to have Matt read it out for us, uh, and just, just listen and picture uh, this moment in interaction that's happening with Jesus and two men. So you guys will have to forgive my voice. I'm a little hoarse. The walk to Emmaus. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All right, thank you. So what really sticks out to me there that we're going to come back to uh, is Jesus' response uh, to them. As, as they know uh, this story, they know everything that happened to him, they know everything he said, um, and yet they still um, are a bit lost. And today's theme is uh, a promise kept as we ask this question, and I think it's a powerful question that we should ask, not only at Christmas time, but all throughout the year, what child is this? Based on a popular hymn, popular Christmas hymn, but a powerful question when you really dig into it. What child is this? So two weeks ago, we started talking about um, the fact that he's a gift. He's a gift from above. Um, and that God with us is an incredible gift. A gift worthy to be uh, praised and adored. A gift worthy to be shared. And that when we get incredible gifts, uh, we can't help but share them. In fact, uh, just this past week, someone gave me a belated birthday gift. Um, and, and it was a pretty incredible gift because they knew me um, quite well. They gave me um, this small eight-ounce package of coffee. Um, and, and then uh, they said this was uh, from the original first roasted and packaged batch of Dunn Brothers coffee. Um, 
and I was amazed by that. First of all, I'm never going to drink it because it's so old and stale that it would be gross. But the second of all, this is an incredible keepsake. This was given to me by Kim Dunn, by the way, the wife of the founder of Dunn Brothers, who had kept these as keepsakes. And I could not believe that they would give me this, this, this first batch of roasted and packaged coffee. And I just have this sitting here. And, I, and it means a lot to me because of, of what I love and what I adore and what I enjoy, uh, which is coffee. And, and she knew me well enough to know that I would get something out of this. And there's several of you sitting here who have heard this story already because I think it's such an incredible gift that I can't stop telling people about it. This is what we do with great, incredible gifts. We can't stop saying, you've got to hear what's been given to me. And this is the great thing about a gift from above, who this child is, a gift from God that is God with us. And then last week, we took a turn for, for kind of the worst and talked about how this gift is actually a humiliated child, a humiliated God. When you think of everything that who God is, eternal, majestic, holy in all of his ways, and that he would confine himself in time and space to one particular man in one particular location surrounded by the sin and wickedness in this world. And how humiliating that is and that the response for us is a call to humility, a call to humbleness, a call to not think of ourselves as great, not think of ourselves as the best, not attempt to be seen as great, but actually to humble ourselves for the benefit of others. And then today, I think what, probably my favorite one of these is, is when we look at this little baby in a manger, what we see is a kept promise. We see a kept promise. And, and what I'm, what I'm uh, first thinking about in regards to promises is, is children expect promises to be kept. Children expect promises to be kept. I've, I've seen this more and more as a parent than I ever have before. It was just this last Thursday when I was leaving for work in the morning, and it was one of those mornings where I knew this was going to be a bad day. Okay, before, before even waking up, kids are crying, kids are, 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 are messy, they're fussing, everybody, and, and I, I'm looking at Katie, and I'm like, you're about to have a day. And so I, I turned to, to Ian, and I turned to Lydia, and I'm like, you know what, guys? I know, I know that this has been a hard morning, but if you do such a great job listening to mom, and, and such a great job being really, really good, when I come home, I'll have a reward for you. And I immediately forgot about that promise, by the way. Uh, and I came home uh, after a long day, and, and when I opened the door, Ian, he comes running to the stairs, and he's like, Daddy, Daddy, I'm so glad you're home. What's my reward? He had been thinking of that all day. I had forgotten the moment I got in the car and had other things on my mind, and yet he was clinging to this idea and hope. And luckily, I have leftover Halloween candy downstairs because I went straight down and said, Yeah, I've got your reward ready. Come on down. Whew. <laughs> yes, I've got your promise. I've got your reward. And this doesn't immediately leave us. This idea that we expect people to keep their promises. Because uh, I have a group of, of sophomores in high school that I teach theology to. And there was this one day where we had some extra time. And so we, we, we did Bible charades and trivia. Okay, we, we had game day. And it was fun. Uh, it, was, it was a quite heated match. And we ended in a tie. Which they were very upset about. 
the fact that it was a tie. And I said, don't worry. I'm sure there's going to be a day down the line where we've got some extra time. We will break this tie. All right. And finals week is next week. And just uh, uh, last Friday, uh, several of the students came up and they said, are we breaking the tie today? You said we're going to break the tie. When are we going to break this tie? They will not let this go. Uh, children naturally expect us to keep our promises. They naturally expect it. And, and when we talk about Christmas time and we look at what this baby is, this is a kept promise. I don't know if you've realized this, but when you look at the baby Jesus laying in a manger, this is the answer to thousands and thousands of years of promises. Dozens upon dozens of promises are fulfilled in this tiny little baby. In fact, I, I went through some research this, this past week and I put together a few of them. And this, this is by no means an exhaustive list. This is by no means the top of the top of all of the prophecies. This is just a smattering of a few related to Jesus coming at Christmas time and realizing uh, the way that God was planning and preparing his promises to be kept long, long, long ago. So the very first one, the Messiah would be the seed of the woman. That was given to us in Genesis 3.15. And what I think is incredible about this promise is that if you're a, a student of Scripture and you've been studying, then you know that the first two verses of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, this is the creation of the world and the perfect thing that God gave for his people. And then immediately, Genesis 3, uh, people mess it up. We sin. We fall into sin. We disobey God. And, and the whole perfectness of creation is just thrown out the window. And yet what I think is so beautiful about that is that 3.15, so 15 verses in, 15 verses into the disobedience is already a promise from God that he is going to solve this problem. From the seed of the woman. And then you can see how Jesus here, uh, born of a woman, uh, is the answer to this. And, and, and later on, theologians will write about that. You'll see them write about the fulfillment in Luke 2.7. You'll see the writers of Scripture in Romans and Galatians talking about uh, Jesus, the promised one, born of a woman. They're calling back that original promise. The Messiah would be the descendant of Abraham through all nations. He uh, would be blessed through him. Abraham, the father of, of the three largest religions in the world, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, all point to Abraham being their father and the promises given. And Jesus is the fulfilled promise of Abraham. And this is no small thing. Throughout the entire scriptures, you will see people call back to being children of Abraham, calling back to those promises being fulfilled. And you see Acts 3 that's, that's answered there. Uh, take a picture of this, write it down, whatever you want to do. I, I don't care. And then you'll see um, all of these phrases about this this coming Messiah, the star of Jacob, the scepter of Judah, the, the lamppost of David, all of these things. And, and we sang about it. O come, key of David. All of these phrases you see uh, promised about them. And then, and then through, you'll probably miss it because we hate genealogies. But if you read the genealogies of the coming of Jesus, all of these names in there you see. He came from Jesse. He came from David. He came from Judah. He came from Jacob. All of these people are in the family line of Jesus. He is the promise fulfilled that God gave to all of these people throughout time. 
The promise to Jacob answered in Jesus. The promise to Judah answered in Jesus. The promise to David answered in Jesus. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. 7.14. That's talked about. And, and, and this is the thing we celebrate. That, that a, a young virgin woman actually gave birth. And what I think is incredible about all these things is, is maybe by itself that's like a, oh wow, that's, that's pretty cool. But when you start to put them all together in one person... And you start to see how throughout all of Scripture, all these pieces are being taken and pulled and then coming on one person. Man, I just wonder, what are the odds of that? I don't think I could create, uh, uh, that I could craft or create a lie uh, that was that fanciful. And to think that through all of these details throughout history, all of these promises that God was making, He had in mind that they are all going to come together at the fullness of time in Jesus. Can I humor you with a few more? That He would be born in Bethlehem. That He would uh, go and live in Nazareth is another one. That He would flee to Egypt and then be called back out of it. That he would be preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist. That, that there would be one who would go before him to prepare the way. And that's exactly what John the Baptist does. He calls people to repentance. Turn away from your sin because there's a Messiah who's coming and he wants to call you in. And then ultimately the promise is that the Messiah would bring a new covenant between God and people. Throughout the Old Testament, you see covenants that are made. Covenant is a fancy word for a, a, a legal agreement between two parties. And God always keeps his end of it. And, and people always break their end of it over and over. We break the law. We can't follow. We run away from God. Uh, and, and then covenant after covenant after covenant. And then finally, Jesus says, you know what? There's a new covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And that when you're in me, you will fulfill this covenant because I have fulfilled it. I have kept the law. I am the perfect one. And if you're in me, you have forgiveness and you are perfect. This is a new covenant. And then he goes and he fulfills it. And you can see the authors of Scripture finally putting all of these pieces together and realizing this is the prophet. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the king who's been promised to us. And then we get to this Scripture reading. Something sad happens to children. Something that is definitely a, a, a product of our fallen world. And the two words that I think best sum it up uh, is jaded and cynical. When we become uh, uh, adults and we realize not everybody keeps their promises. Or we realize Dad said he had a reward but then just totally forgot and didn't care about it. And then is going and faking it with Halloween candy. One day, I won't be able to pull that over on my son anymore. It happens when we get jobs, those first jobs. Or, or when we become leaders in the church and we, and we start to become part of, of, of the conversations that happen behind closed doors and we realize that, that there's politics involved or we realize that imperfect people are making imperfect decisions and everything that we thought was good and right and holy is, is just corrupt. 
and it's messed up and it doesn't work anymore and we become jaded and we become cynical because we've realized that people don't keep their promises and the sad thing that happens is we stop expecting it. And we start thinking that people are up to no good or someone's got some angle or what are they really getting at here? What are they trying to get out of me? We lose that childlike innocence. We lose that childlike trust. And that bleeds over into our relationship with the one authority figure with whom we should have that, with God. And you see that in that text that Matt read for us. Do you see that? They knew the entire story of Jesus. They were disciples who were, who were hoping. They called him the prophet. That's who Jesus was always known as, was the prophet who would come. And they knew that he came. They knew that he died. They knew that it had been three days and that he was no longer there. They even knew that people were claiming that he had risen from the dead. And yet here they are, sad and bummed out. Because it wasn't like they thought it would be. And how does Jesus respond to them? What does he say? You foolish people! Uh, but do you ever hear people say, the older I get, the dumber I feel? That's right. <laughs> For a whole host of reasons, especially in this, in this realm. The older we get in some ways, when we lose the ability to trust and hope and believe... You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And by the way, just some of the prophecies that we just read, those were not unfamiliar to Jews in the day. Those were, those were common things that everybody knew. And everybody knew to look for and everybody knew to expect. But you know what? Most people treated it like a myth. Or, or like a tradition. You ever feel that way with your faith? Like it used to be something that was so real and so meaningful and now it just feels like the motions. It feels like just something that I have to go through. It feels like something I do and I don't really feel or believe anymore. This is the problem with adulthood. And this is why Jesus says... You foolish people. And, and then what he does is he takes them through it again. Moses and the prophets is, is the Old Testament. The writings of Moses, the Torah, the first five books, the prophets, the writings. He takes them through it all on this walk. For miles and miles, he's just explaining them the story of the Old Testament and showing how it all points to him. How it all points to Jesus. And then Matt didn't read this part, but the text ends with him coming uh, and joining them for dinner in the house. And he breaks bread with them. And then all of a sudden, their eyes are open. And they said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us as he was telling us all these things? What God desires to do in us is to light our hearts up with the belief that he can and does keep his promises. And so, are you an eager Christmas child looking for and trusting in and hoping in the promises that God has given to you? Or have you become jaded? Have you become cynical? Have you become burned out? Has it become the motions that you're going through?
And if that's you, let me remind you that the promises of God weren't for Old Testament people that we just have to kind of say, oh, hey, that's cool. God has many, many, many promises that he has given to us in his word that he wants us to hold him to, that he wants us to call on him for. Let me show you some of them. God promises that he will supply every need of yours according to the riches he has in Christ Jesus. That comes from Philippians 4.19. You can find that in the, in the Gospel of Matthew 2 where he says, uh, uh, do birds uh, have to sow and reap? Do plants uh, have to toil to, to, to create their clothes? No, I clothe them and I feed them and how much more will I do that for you? God says he will supply every need of yours. That's a promise. He says that if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. I'm amazed at the ability of children to forgive each other. They don't hold grudges. They don't get uh, mad for long periods of time. They get in the worst fights. And then they can just forgive each other and move on. I'm amazed at that. My consequence to my kids when they fight is, you go to your room and you can't come out until you are smiling and holding hands. And one minute later, they're coming out, skipping, holding hands and smiling. Where I think of like the fights and the grudges I have as an adult with people and, and the, the ability that I have to hold in bitterness and be upset about such small things. And why can't I have that? Why can't I have that childlike ability to forgive and just hold hands and skip with someone? I wish I could, but I just get so angry. But God promises for his children, if we confess our sins to him, he's over it. It's done. He doesn't hold on to it. He doesn't remember it. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sins from us. When he looks at us, he sees perfection through his son Jesus. Oh man, this is amazing promises. He says he will strengthen you, that he will uphold you, that he will help you. Do you need help with something? Are you struggling with something? Do you feel weak and powerless? Do you realize that God says, with me, I will come alongside you and help you in this? And do you actually believe that he would do that? Do you ever fear death? I have these moments where I sometimes think about what it will be like when I take my last breath and close my eyes and what will happen. And, and there's a part of me that has this faith side that I know what's going to happen. But then there's a part of me that's really kind of afraid of that moment. But, but God says that, that we will live forever with him and that we don't need to fear death. That's what he says. Not just in Titus, but he says it in John 3.16. He says it all over the place. How about this one? God gives wisdom to those who ask. And I'm not talking about just like holy spiritual wisdom about Bible and the things of God and good doctrine and stuff. No. He says if you ask me for wisdom in a situation, I'll give it to you. In fact, one of the greatest kings, King Solomon, God gave him this wish that I wish I would be given sometime. Whatever you want, ask for it, and I will give it to you right here, right now. Like, the, like a genie. I mean, seriously, just like that. Whatever you wish. And Solomon, in that moment, he asks for wisdom. And God is so impressed with this that he gives him an immense amount 
more than anyone who has ever lived. And then the whole book of Proverbs and all that wisdom comes from Solomon's request, God, please grant me wisdom. God says if you ask him for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Wisdom to deal with a certain situation. Wisdom to deal with a hard relationship. Wisdom to deal with your tough work environment. Wisdom to deal with your children. Wisdom to deal with whatever you need to deal with. He says if you ask him for it and pray and come to him, he'll give it to you. Do you believe that? God promises a day where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more grief. He promises that he'll take that away from you. Do you believe that he could take away your grief? Do you believe that he could take away your pain? Do you believe he could take away your depression? Do you believe he could take away your anxiety? Do you believe that he could heal you? Because he promises to. And we are afraid to call on him to answer his promises because we are afraid that he can't or won't. And this shows us that as we have matured in life, we have immatured in faith. That as we grow older, we become less dependent on God and less and less of the belief that he can actually answer and solve our problems in this life. And yet he does make these promises. Just a few more. He says that he's with you and protecting you through trials in Isaiah 43. When you're going through the waters and you feel like you're about to drown, when the fire is pressed in all around you and you feel like you're going to burn, crash and burn, he's there with you, protecting you, and he is with you in those trials. Are you going through some hard moments right now? He says he's with you. And he says he'll protect you from it. God will be patient with you. So many of us have this idea that God is waiting to strike us down and judge us for the wrongdoings. So many of us, in the back of our minds, a flat tire happens and we're like, God, what did I do to deserve this? We actually believe that God is waiting to punish us for the wrong that we've done. And yet, Scripture says he's patient with us. As we walk and work towards repentance, are you struggling with a specific sin? Are you struggling with an addiction? Are you struggling to find uh, uh, rightness before God? He's patient with you in that walk. I love this one. I believe that this one is true. And I believe that this is probably the most important promise.